I was more free in that moment than I had ever been in my entire life. And in that freedom, I got to walk out the next few years in prison. Hey guys, Brooke and Adam here. We have another incredible episode for you today. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee, whatever your jam is, um, and enjoy this story, this God story from Ron. The Unseen Story is a nonprofit that relies on financial support from listeners like you. Please visit our website, theunseenstory.org, to find out how you can partner with us today. You're listening to Ron's story, The End of Me. Hi, my name's Ron, and I believe that God has created me with the purpose of showing people the powerful love of God that has transformed me. I grew up in a great home with Christian parents who got saved out of the Jesus movement. Uh, They were pretty radical. They were wild, to say the least. We went to a Methodist church when I was young, but they were spirit-filled, and uh, it was not uncommon for my mom to go running through the sanctuary with the praise flags. My mother had a prayer ministry. She also sang in a gospel trio and got to tour around and do a bunch of different events. My dad taught Sunday school, and we seemed like just the picture-perfect family that had been restored. Uh, They had both been brought out of addiction and really abusive, horrible backgrounds. Really just had awesome parents. When I was about 12 years old, though, I started to notice that things around my house were different. There was some tension there. There was a tension between mom and dad. Uh, They were spending more time in their room. There were less family meals. After a few months of this, it finally hit its climax in uh, my mom storming out of their bedroom and saying, pack your bags, son, we're leaving. On our way out the door, my dad and her got into a tussle in the garage. He ends up pushing her. She falls on the ground, breaks her arm. It's very dramatic. We're on the run from dad for a few days. We figure he's at work, so we go check on our house to see if we could get some clothes or something drive up to my home that I grew up in, and it's been burned to the ground, just a pile of ashes. So at 12 years old, I go from living a pretty sheltered life. I went to a private Baptist school for the first few years of my education to things are really turned upside down. I moved with my mom to the city. Just as radical as she was for Jesus, she's now just as radical for the world. She's bringing home a different guy every night. She's going out to nightclubs. She's using the gift that God gave her to sing in the club versus the church. Um, And my dad, he's not much better. I bounce back and forth between one home to the other, trying to just find some some sort of normalcy. And what I find is that I'm starting to really enjoy this crazy chaotic life. A lot of it seems appealing, I like smoking marijuana with my mom. I like not having to go to school all the time. It's during this same time period that I start to just really question my sexuality. My mother, God rest her soul, she put a lot of heavy stuff on me as a child from 12 going forward. I was her best friend, so I heard about all the things that dad had done and how how he had failed. And I really think that some of that started to take root in my own heart, that I was actually starting to become afraid that I wouldn't be man enough to be a husband to a wife. 
When I was about 15 years old, I went out on a boat with my sister and her boyfriend. And two o'clock in the morning after we've had several drinks, she looks at me and she says, Ron, are you gay? And I said, you know what? I think I might be. So I decided to go home and tell my father. It did not go over well. This was in the mid-90s. This was not okay. I told my dad he seemed very, very, very angry and very upset. I'll never forget the words that, that he said to me. He says, Ron, I just don't want you to be rejected your whole life. My mother was too much of a mess to really know like what was going on. She didn't have much to say about it. After a few more years of her drinking, I actually would end up losing her to cirrhosis of the liver at 19 years old. I lose my mom. On one hand, it was very painful, and on the other hand, I kind of felt a sense of relief that I didn't have to take care of her anymore. To run away from my pain, I ended up moving with some friends of mine to Indianapolis, Indiana. I was working, had a good job, but every weekend I was getting high. I was heavily involved in the nightclub scene in the gay community, going out every night. After several years of this, just doing drugs on the weekend, it became too hard to recover between Monday and Friday. I just did meth all the time. It was easier to not have to go up and go down off of it. So it just became a way of life, but everyone else around me was doing it too. They all had jobs. It seemed like everything was okay. I started DJing in nightclubs when I was about 23 years old, and I got really good at it, so I started getting to go to to, uh, different cities. And when I would be in different cities and I would run out of drugs. I would buy them from different places and realized, wait a minute, where I live in Indiana, this stuff is really expensive, but where I grew up in Texas, it's really cheap. So I borrowed about $10,000 and started a methamphetamine trafficking business. At first, again, I was only dealing with people that had jobs, doctors, lawyers, people that were quote-unquote put together. But as time went on, I started to realize that the amount of drugs that I was flooding into this community were actually destroying lives. I started to see some of the darker sides of stuff. I started to get in some really, really rough situations. When I was 27, I got arrested in Houston with a pound of methamphetamine. And to be honest, I thought I was going to go to prison for the rest of my life. Up until this point, outside of a traffic ticket, I've never even been in trouble. At 27 years old, in jail for the first time, it was a really rough situation. The people in there were a bunch of predators that really saw an easy target on my back. I ended up being sexually assaulted, robbed, manipulated, my commissary, food taken, whatever you can think of, it happened. I ended up getting sentenced to five years in prison, I did three and a half of that, and by the time I got out, I think I was more hard-hearted than I had ever been, and when I was released, I went to live with my dad, who had cancer and died nine months later. I'm already back on drugs by the time my father passes away, and I'm just at a point where I just don't really care. If I go back to prison, oh well. To add to all of this, I started getting involved in crimes that 10 years before I would have never committed. Started taking people's identity, stealing their information, stealing their money, taking it out of their bank accounts, getting loans, 
in their names, doing whatever I could to just try to feed myself some sort of identity. These poor choices sent me back to uh, state jail two more times. I would do a year, get out for six months, and do another year. And it was during that time that I was in there that the enemy did his strongest work in my life, my third time to prison. And I spent the entire year just planning how I was going to get out and take over the world. I was going to make a ton of money. I didn't care how I got it. I was going to just stake my claim on what I thought the world owed me. I got out and I set out to do just that. I ended up with more money, more credit, more cars, more clothes than I had ever had. Through these ill-gotten gains, I bought everything you could imagine. And one day, I realized that I had purchased everything I thought I wanted and I was still miserable. The emptiness that I experienced that day, I'll never forget. For 30 years, I've been trying to get somewhere. I tried through selling drugs in my 20s. I've now tried multiple times through robbing people like in my 30s. And it's this whole life. I mean, if I could just get there. And the Lord did allow me to get there. When I came to the end of me, I found the very beginning of him. A few weeks later, the guy that I was living with got into some trouble and he told the police about what I had been doing in hopes that he could get out of his own trouble. The police came to get me. They found me with a backpack on that had 60 plastic driver's license with my picture and other people's information. It's a first-degree felony offense. They had every bit of evidence that they needed to prosecute me to the fullest extent of the law. And it was in that moment, sitting in the back of a police car, that I had my first adult experience with the Lord. I'll never forget this. Sitting back there, I remember looking out one side of the police car, and the Lord showed me a vision of what my life had been. He showed me the darkness. He showed me the manipulation, the addiction, the disaster that my life had become, and the wake of disaster that was behind me. Out the other side of the police car, I saw a vision of me in a field with my arms open wide, wearing a white shirt, and I was in the very presence of the Lord. As I'm literally looking back and forth between one side of the car and the other, the Lord said to me, Today I set before you life and death. Choose life. I chose life. In that moment, I did start yelling, I'm free, I'm free. Mind you, the police officers in the front seat of the police car thought I was crazy. I'm surprised they didn't take me to the psych hospital, but they didn't. But I was free. I was more free in that moment than I had ever been in my entire life. And in that freedom, I got to walk out the next few years in prison. I wish I could tell you that that's where my story ends and that the miracle happened and I'm just whole and restored and everything's great going forward. But there were a lot of things in my heart that just had not been healed and they just hadn't changed. When I finally got to the prison where I would do most of my sentence, I settled in, found a boyfriend, 
and we went to church every Sunday together. We sat on the front row. I wish I could tell you that those in the church there were just ready to accept us and love us and love us unconditionally and treat us with kindness, but that just wasn't my experience. I was insulted. I was yelled at. I was threatened. People did not want me there. I did not fit in with what they thought church was. But I knew that God had something there for me. And I knew that God had more for me. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I knew that he had more for me. So I kept coming back. My aunt sent me a book by Pastor Robert Morris called The God I Never Knew. Intrigued, I opened the book and I stayed up all night reading it and reread it. Read some chapters two and three times. And what I discovered, that there was a God that I didn't know. About two weeks after that, I met a guard She was doing count. She's coming through with her clipboard, and she is just bubbling over with joy. She comes by my bunk, and I stop her, and I said, ma'am, excuse me, what are you so happy for? And she turned around and looked at me, and she said, it's the joy of the Holy Spirit, baby. I found her a few weeks later, and I said, hey, I need your help. I read this book, and I, I want you to pray that Jesus will baptize me in the Holy Spirit. About three days later, she comes and kicks my locker at 4.30 in the morning, wakes me up, and says, I'm ready to pray for you, son. She prays that Jesus will baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And immediately, I felt different. Immediately. Two days later, they have a conference inside the prison. I'm supposed to go with the boyfriend. We meet there. We get into a disagreement in line waiting to go in, and he leaves, and he goes back to his dorm, and I go to this conference. And during this conference, the main gentleman that spoke talked about sexual purity, and he talked about the blessing of the marriage bed and God's original design for sexuality and for marriage and for what God had, the blessing that was there. This was the first time in my life that I had ever been able to receive a message like that, Previously, whenever anyone would talk about that, I would immediately, even in my heart, most of the time with my mouth too, would go into defense mode. But I realized that I wasn't defending myself. And so I really started to freak out there, asking the Lord, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. This doesn't make any sense. I I am the gay boy. That is who I am. We went into a time of really deep worship. And during this time of worship, God spoke and led me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. Who told you you were naked? It's God talking to Adam and Eve, like right after the fall, like they now believe that they're naked. And I reread it and God says, who told you you were gay? And it's in this moment that I realized that God doesn't call me that. He doesn't see me that way. He didn't design me that way. And all at the same time, he's not angry at me for believing that. He's brokenhearted. He wants me to live out of truth. Two weeks later, parole came and told me that it was time for me to go home. I end up going to a ministry that helps me get on my feet and to another ministry that further helps me get on my feet. And eventually, I end up at Gateway Church, working as a part-time janitor. 
eventually that leads to more leadership roles and more opportunity and more ministry calling. Today, I serve at Gateway Church on the groups team. I'm a part of outreach, single parent family ministry, and a whole bunch of other stuff. God has given me an incredible opportunity to steward what what he has done in my heart and in my life. I'm not married yet, but I know God's got that for me. I know that it's on the horizon. He's continuing to heal me, to help me be more and more free, and to help me know him in a more deep and intimate way. And for that, I'm super grateful. Wow. There's a lot, uh, a lot to unpack there. Um, what are just a couple of your thoughts? I love that he references Genesis three eleven. I think that is so powerful, and I think that um, one of the enemy's biggest schemes and tactics right now is to attack um, God's children through their identity, and the way. He, that reads is just so powerful. Who told you you were naked? God never saw them naked, just like God never saw Ron as anything other than who he created him to be. And I think that is both beautiful and it makes me emotional to think about it because I just think about how many people um, believe lies about themselves, you know, I, I must be this way or just believe what other people say about them. Breaks mm. my heart. Yeah. You, to your point about who told you that you were naked. I mean, that's at the crux of Ron's story. He, he has this line where he says, uh, he wanted to feed himself some sort of identity. Mm. And I thought about Jesus being living water, bread of life, and how we, in Ron's case, you know, he went shopping to purchase all the things. Uh, he did all the drugs to feel all the feels. Mm-hmm. He uh, entered into a gay lifestyle thinking that, you know, that that was going to um, give him the identity that he was looking for. Yeah. Um, and he has, you know, a really radical, profound encounter in the back of the police car and... Um, and then God starts to minister to him about his identity mm. and, and uncover and heal those lies. And so I just think his story is identity on multiple levels and the importance of identity in, in Christ. Um, it's what we all long for ultimately. Um, but some of us have some pretty harrowing journeys to find it. Mm. Um, Ron's is one of those, um, but it makes for a really remarkable testimony. Yeah. And one where he can um, leverage that uh, in other people's lives. Hey, I've been there, you know. Yeah. Uh, no matter where you've been, I, I can empathize because. He tried I, all the worldly things. I was there too. Yeah. Um, so it's made him a, a powerful um, minister on the other side of this. Um, so grateful to have him on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That was really beautiful. And I think it's, 
um, amazing how many stories we have of people who get put in jail and they feel more free in jail than they ever felt outside of jail. But I think that is not the case. I mean, obviously that's not the case for most people who are in prison. And yet I think it's common for those who encounter Christ in prison, right? Um, they feel more free than ever. Mm. All right. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, please. Um, you can find us on the website, theunseenstory.org. Uh, we are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. And we're about to be on YouTube. Yeah. Um, which is exciting. Yep. Love you guys. Say to you through this story. We invite you to partner with us through your God-given resources of time, prayer, and finances. Without your sharing, these stories don't spread to those who need them. Without your prayers, we are limited in what we can do for the kingdom. Without your finances, these powerful stories of God's supernatural love go untold. God has called us to share His stories, and we invite you to be a part of that mission. For more information, be sure to check out our website, at theunseenstory.org. Thanks so much for listening.